Chapter Six of the Secret Mark by Roy J. Snell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett. Chapter Six. One can never tell. When Lucille awoke in the morning, she remembered the occurrence of the night before as some sort of bad dream. It seemed inconceivable that she and Florence, a couple of co-eds, should have thrown themselves upon a rough-looking woman in the heart of the city, on a street with which they were totally unfamiliar. Had they done this to free a child about whom they knew nothing save that she had stolen two valuable books? "'Did we?' she asked sleepily. "'Did we what?' smiled Florence, drawing the comb through her hair. "'Did we rescue that child from that woman?' "'I guess we did. Why did we do it?' That's what I've been wondering. Lucille sat up in bed and thought for a moment. She gazed out of the window at the lovely green and the magnificent Gothic architecture spread out before her. She thought of the wretched alleys and tumble-down tenements which would greet the eye of that mysterious child when she awoke. Anyway, she told herself, we saved her from something even worse, I do believe. We sent her back to her little old tottering man. I do think she loves him, though who he is, her grandfather or what, I haven't the faintest notion. Anyway, I'm glad we did it, she said. Did what? panted Florence, who by this time was going through her morning exercises. Save the child. Yes, so am I. The papier-mâché lunchbox remained in its place in the dark corner when they went to breakfast. Both girls had completely forgotten it. Had Lucille dreamed what it contained, she would not have passed it up for a thousand breakfasts. Since she didn't, she stepped out into the bright morning sunshine, and drinking in deep breaths of God's fresh air, gave thanks that she was alive. The day passed as all school days pass, with study, lectures, laboratory work, then dinner as evening comes. In the evening paper, an advertisement in the lost, strayed, or stolen column caught her eye. It read, Reward. Will pay $100 reward for the return of small copy of the complete angler, which disappeared from the Morrow bookshop on November 3rd. It was signed by Frank Morrow. Why, that's strange, she murmured. I do believe that was the book he showed me only yesterday, the little first edition which was worth $1,600. How strange! A queer sinking sensation came over her. I, I wonder if she could have taken it, she whispered. That child. No, no, she whispered emphatically after a moment's thought. And yet, there was the gargoyle bookmark in the inside cover, the same as in our Shakespeare. How strange! It might be, and yet one can never tell. That evening was Lucille's regular period at the library, so much as she should have liked delving more deeply into the mystery which had all but taken possession of her, she was obliged to bend over a desk checking off books. Working with her was Harry Brock, a fellow student. Harry was the kind of fellow one speaks of oftenest as a nice boy, clean, clear-cut, carefully dressed, studious, energetic, and accurate. He set an example which was hard to follow. He had taken a brotherly interest in Lucille from the start, 
and had helped her over many hard places in the library until she learned her duties. Shortly after she had come in, he paused by her desk and said in a quiet tone, "'Do you know? I'm worried about the disappearance of that set of Shakespeare. Sort of gives our section a long black mark. Can't see where it's disappeared to.' Lucille drew in a long breath. What was he driving at? Did he suspect? Did he... If I wasn't so sure our records were perfect, he broke in on her mental questioning. I'd say it was tucked away somewhere and would turn up. But we've all been careful. It just can't be here. He paused as if in reflection, then said suddenly, Do you think one would ever be justified in protecting a person whom he knew had stolen something? Lucille started. What did he mean? Did he suspect something? Had he perhaps seen her enter the library on one of those nights of her watching? Did he suspect her? For a second the color rushed flaming to her cheeks. But fortunately he was looking away. The next second she was her usual calm self. Why, yes, she said steadily. I think one might, if one felt that there were circumstances about the apparent theft which were not clearly understood. You know, she said as a sudden inspiration seized her, we've just finished reading Victor Hugo's story of Jean Valjean in French. Translating a great story a little each day, bit by bit, is such a wonderful way of doing it, and that is the greatest story that ever was written. Have you read it? He nodded. Well, then you remember how that poor fellow stole a loaf of bread to feed his sister's hungry children and how, without trying to find out about things and be just, they put him in prison. Then, because he tried to get out, they kept him there years and years. Then, when they at last let him out, in spite of it all, after he had come into contact with a beautiful, unselfish old man, he became one of the most wonderful characters the world may hope to know. Just think how wonderful his earlier years, wasted in prison, might have been if someone had only tried a little to understand. "'You're good,' smiled Harry. "'When I get arrested, I'll have you for my lawyer.' Lucille, once more quite herself, laughed heartily. Then she suddenly sobered. "'If I were you,' she said in a low tone, "'I shouldn't worry too much about that set of Shakespeare. "'Some way I have an idea that it will show up in its own good time.' Harry shot her a quick look. Then as he turned to walk away, said in a tone of forced lightness. Oh, all right. The following night they were free to return to the scene of the mystery, the cottage on dreary Tyler Street where the old man and the strange child lived. A light shone out of the window with the torn shade as they loitered along in front of the place as before. Much to their surprise, not ten minutes had passed when the child stole forth. We were just in time breathed Florence. Dressed just as she was on the first night I saw her. Lucille whispered as the child passed them. She's making for the elevated station this time, said Florence as they hurried along after her. That means a long trip and you are tired. Why don't you let me follow her alone? Why, I... Lucille cut her speech short to grip her companion's arm. Florence, she whispered excitedly, did you hear a footstep behind us? Why, yes, I... Florence hesitated. Lucille broke in. 
There was one. I am sure of it. And just now as I looked about, there was no one in sight. You don't think someone could suspect, be shadowing us? Of course not. It might be that woman who tried to carry the child away. I think not. That was in another part of the city. Probably just nothing at all. Yes, yes, there it is now. I hear it. Look about, quick. No one in sight, said Florence. It's your nerves. You'd better go home and get a good night's sleep. They parted hurriedly at the station. Florence swung onto the train boarded by the child, a train which she knew would carry her to the north side, directly away from the university. Probably be morning before I get in, she grumbled to herself. What a wild chase! Yet as she stole a glance now and then at the child, who, all unconscious of her scrutiny, sat curled up in the corner of a nearby seat, she felt that, after all, she was worth the effort being made for her. "'Whoever saveth a soul from destruction,' she whispered to herself as the train rattled on over the river on its way north. In the meantime, Lucille had boarded a southbound car. She was not a little troubled by the thought of those footsteps behind them on the sidewalk. She knew it was not her nerves. "'Someone was following us,' she whispered to herself. I wonder who and why. She puzzled over it all the way home, was puzzling over it still when she left her car at the university. Somewhat to her surprise, she saw Harry Brock leave the same train. He appeared almost to be avoiding her, but when she called to him, he turned about and smiled. So glad to have someone to walk those five lonely blocks with, she smiled. Pleasure mutual, he murmured but he seemed ill at ease. Lucille glanced at him curiously. He can't think I've got a crush on him, she told herself. Our friendships had too much of the ordinary in it for that. I wonder what is the matter with him. Conversation on the way to the university grounds rambled along over commonplaces. Each studiously avoided any reference to the mystery of the missing books. Lucille was distinctly relieved as he left her at the dormitory door. Well, she heaved a sigh, whatever could have come over him? He has always been so frank and fine. I wonder if he suspects, but no, how could he? As she hung her wrap up in the corner of her room, her eye fell upon the papier-mâché lunchbox. Her hand half reached for it, then she drew it back and flung herself into a chair. Tomorrow, she murmured. I'm so tired. Fifteen minutes later, she was in her bed, fast asleep, dreaming of her pal, and in that dream she saw her rattling on and on and on forever through the night. End of chapter 6